Well, the, uh, the text for today, um, moving on from where we were last week, uh, if you've got your Bibles, open up to, to John chapter 8, uh, verses 21 to 30. Uh, and for, uh, for reasons which may be apparent to you straight away, if you know the text well, um, otherwise I hope will become apparent, uh, I've entitled the message, uh, Yahweh in the Flesh. Uh, so last time, uh, if you were here, you'll remember we went from uh, John chapter 8, verses 12 to 20. Uh, and I kind of like to recap the point. Certainly, uh, from a personal perspective, uh, I find that if I have portions of things recapped for me, uh, I will remember more of what I uh, went through the, in the previous time or what was went through in the previous time. Uh, so last time, uh, in some, I said, uh, don't be like the Pharisees. Uh, and the four, yes, four points that I had were, uh, don't be like the Pharisees, follow the source of light and life. Secondly, don't be like the Pharisees, humble yourself under the source of light and life. You won't catch him out on an errant technicality. Uh, three, don't be like the Pharisees, judge in accordance with the source of light and life. Fourthly and lastly, don't be like the Pharisees, understand who the source of light and life is. And we'll pick up on that same subject uh, in the message today. So this time, as I said, uh, John chapter 8, verses 21 to 30. Uh, and let's read through that now. This is God's word to us. So he said to them again, I am going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself since he says where I am going, you cannot come? He said to them, you are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So they said to him, Who are you? Jesus said to them, Just what I have been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge, but the one who sent me is true, and I declare to the world what I have heard from him. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. Father, please help us to approach this text in a, a rightly reverend way, um, knowing that it is the, the word of the ever-living God, the God who has no beginning and no end, who has all power, who uh, is merciful and yet also exercises great judgment. Uh, Lord, help us to approach this rightly. Indeed, as I've said, we, uh, we read about Yahweh in the flesh. Uh, let this be no trivial thing to us, not even just a, a fun theological fact. Uh, but Lord, help us to approach this rightly, to understand it well. Uh, glorify your name through our time here, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, so the, uh, the sections as I'm seeing them today, uh, verses 21 to 23, uh, refer to Jesus and the Jews' subsequent or origins. Verses 24 to 25 who Jesus is, and verses 26 to 30, uh, Jesus, the judge who speaks, taught by the Father. 
And the section, as you'll uh, pick up, is a part of the same conversation between Jesus and the Pharisees, or, or the Jews, as they are, are more referred to in this uh, in this part, part in this passage. Uh, part of the same conversation as last week, and so we could really uh, continue to go on to say, "Don't be like the Pharisees." As a very uh, short and simple overall sum of the sections, uh, the Pharisees continue on in this part of the conversation in willful ignorance uh, of who Jesus is, though he has been clearly revealed to them. Uh, you could say that it's, it's not merely a, a mist the forest for the trees quite type of scenario, but rather a, I'm pretty sure there's a, a glorious forest worth beholding back there, but look at that piece of bark. It's more like that kind of a situation where the Pharisees are aware of what is going on, aware of who Jesus is. Uh, and yet they try their hardest really to be willfully ignorant of that and to focus on something uh, trivial and, and fallacious instead. Uh, so who Jesus is, is plain from his own profession. His actions, uh, his wit the witness of the Father, his works, and John the Baptist. And the Pharisees were exposed to all this and yet continue on in disobedience and ignorance. Uh, the Pharisees you could say are similar to the one spoken of in Isaiah 44, the one who uh, cuts down the tree and fashions his own God. And in verse 18, it says, They know not, nor do they discern, for he has shut their eyes so that they cannot see, and their hearts so that they cannot understand. Uh, why were some saved and others not? Well, because uh, some were God's elect. God chose to uh, regenerate their hearts, open their eyes, uh, why were the Pharisees not? Evidently, uh, God chose to, to let them continue uh, in, their, uh, in their blindness. And subsequently, though they were exposed to so much, uh, they were guilty of that, yet nonetheless their eyes were not opened by God. Uh, so jumping in into the text itself, verses 21 to 23, uh, which says, So he said to them again, I am going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, Will he kill himself, since he says, Where I am going, you cannot come? He said to them, You are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. As perhaps you, uh, you pick up, when I uh, look at a text like this, I, I ask myself questions. You know, what, are the, what are the things that we need to understand in order to make uh, right understanding, right application from this text? Uh, and whether that's obvious or whether that's more difficult, nonetheless, I, I consider that a good way to approach the text. Uh, and so two questions that need answering from here are, where is Jesus from? And where are the people Jesus is talking to from, being the, uh, the Pharisees or, or the Jews? Uh, so, where is Jesus from? Uh, last week, I, I answered the question with a, uh, an answer of, of heaven, not so much being some sort of physical location, uh, but the place where Jesus was uh, in, in intimate communion with the triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Uh, and in complement to this, John 13, 3, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God. John 14, 28. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced.
because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. Uh, this is the place where Jesus is going back to. Uh, and two more, John 17, 5. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. And lastly, jumping outside of John uh, to what Jeff Durbin calls God's favorite Bible verse, uh, Psalm 110.1. The Lord said to my Lord, or Yahweh said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Uh, so the place where Jesus was going back to, perhaps an obvious answer, going back to the, uh, the presence of the, the intimate presence of the Father and the Holy Spirit uh, in that place where the triune God dwells. Uh, though we understand that somewhat abstractly because he doesn't dwell in some sort of physical location as we do. Where were the Jews from? Jesus answers the question for us in verse 23. Uh, he says of them, you are from below, you are of this world. Uh, but what do these, these words refer to? The word translated as, as below basically refers to uh, beneath, down or under, or perhaps down under. Uh, denotes a, a, a physicality, usually. And hence, Jesus saying that the Jews are from below is with reference to them being uh, of the earth or of the world, that which is below the heavens or the skies. He goes on to say, uh, you are of this world, which is uh, similar in some ways to, to below and often literally just refers to uh, the earthly realm. Uh, the world of which Australia is a place. Uh, it is not necessarily evil. Jesus says, for instance, in Matthew 5.14, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Uh, and in John 1 verse 10, the same word is used where it notes that the, the word, Jesus, created the world. Uh, and it seems as if God even believes that the world is worth saving. John 3:17, the subsequent verse to uh, the most famous Bible verse, says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. We'll come back to that verse a little later on, so keep it in your mind. Um, the same word is also used, though, in John 3:19, And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. And in John 7, 7, as Jesus' brothers try to convince him to go up to the Feast of Booths, which Tom went through recently, uh, Jesus said, The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil. And so in short, uh, the context of where, this of where this word world is used uh, will determine whether it is being referred to as a, an evil thing or a good thing. We must use our discernment as we come to a text. And so coming back to our, our subsequent text that we've been reading from, uh, verses 21 to 23, let's read them once again. So he said to them again, I am going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself since he says, where I am going, you cannot come? He said to them, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. So Jesus is, uh, is juxtaposing uh, the world with from above. And he notes that uh, 
that they will die in their sins. So clearly from context where world is used here is being referred to uh, in its evil connotations. The Jews have rejected the source of light and life and in doing so have rejected the Father, the very one which they claim to follow so zealously. They've rejected the Father and there is no way for their sin to be forgiven. And this indeed is why Jesus says of them in verses 21 and 24 that they will die in their sin or their sins because they have rejected the Father's Christ. The Jews knew not Jesus who revealed the Father. What's more, they rejected him though they were metaphorically exposed to so much of his light that they ought to have been blinded. And so it's fairly obvious then that we want to uh, avoid the transgression of the Jews uh, but perhaps the, the more telling question for those of us who profess to know Christ is, to what degree will we choose Christ, the one who is from above? Not so much uh, will we not be like the Jews, but to what extent will we go to the opposite extreme, the good extreme, and choose Christ? We readily say, uh, I am a Christian and I don't want to live in the ways of the world or, or words to this effect. But do your small, medium, and large life decisions match that statement? Do the ways in which you spend your moments, your minutes, your hours, your days, your months, your years, your decades, do they also uh, match in line with that statement? That I'm a Christian and I don't want to live in the ways of the world. Jesus has not asked that we be removed from the world so as to avoid it entirely. Rather, he came into the world to save it and is still on that mission. And he sends us on the same mission. John 17, 18, during the high priestly prayer, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Uh, the fact, though, the world needs saving implies that there is something for it to be saved from. It has declined into evil. We need to choose to think, act, do, and not do in accordance with the one who is from above, the source of light and light, and not that which corresponds with worldly and evil ways, those who reject the source of light and life. And so, we could ask ourselves some more questions. Do I pursue my rest in Christ? Or is it in something which uh, more correlates with that which folks of the world would do, those who are outside of Christ? Do I find my wisdom in Christ? Or is it self-help with a side plate of Jesus? Is my work life uh, so separate from my pursuit of Christ that it would be hard to tell my work from that of a co-worker. I would hope that, uh, uh, as it were, if you could put your work down on paper and have it as an anonymous document, uh, that the work of those who are Christian, that our work would look different to that of somebody who was outside of Christ, uh, such that if somebody came along and, and did have a, a neutral mind, not that there is any neutrality, they could readily discern uh, that this one is done by somebody, somebody different, somebody who is pursuing something greater, somebody who is uh, of Christ, and this one uh, is not. And so the point, to put it concisely, 
Uh, Be like Jesus. Be like him who is from above. Even Christians uh, can, for moments, be willfully ignorant or disobedient when it comes to truly pursuing Jesus. Don't be like that. Don't be like the Pharisees in that regard. Verses 24 to 25. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So they said to him, Who are you? Jesus said to them, Just what I have been telling you from the beginning. We look briefly before at why the Jews would die in their sins, because they have rejected the Father's Christ. The Jews knew not Jesus who revealed the Father, and what's more, they rejected him. But Jesus gives us some more and really some quite profound information to that end here. And just to to sort of set us up for the point which I'm making, our English translators have Uh, added in a word here to verse 24, depending on which translation you have, uh, which doesn't appear in the original Greek. Uh, And this is done uh, perhaps to to try and make the sentence a little more uh, understandable and readable to an English audience. Um, But with that being said, uh, I think it's important for us to note that though there is a word added in, it does not change the meaning of the sentence. I think it might be argued Uh, that it makes the original implications a little less obvious, uh, but whether or not the word is in there or otherwise does not change the meaning of the sentence. Uh, And hence, those who would uh, claim that the the Bible uh, has some sort of addition or contradiction or whatever else here uh, are in error. Uh, turn Turn to Exodus 3 with me. Uh, And in this passage, we have uh, Moses encountering the burning bush and Yahweh's subsequent commissioning of him to lead his, to lead Yahweh's people out of Egypt. Uh, So in Exodus 3, uh, 13 to 15, it says, Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say to this people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the people of Israel, Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Uh, We could also go to other places Uh, such as in Isaiah, or numerous places in Isaiah, in fact, uh, such as chapter 43, verses 10 to 11, uh, which also speak of this, I am. You are my witnesses, declares Yahweh, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me no God was formed, nor shall there be any after me. I, I am Yahweh, and besides me there is no Savior. So coming back to John 8, having set that as background. Uh, The word uh, added in by the translator, as you perhaps pick up by this point, is he. As in, unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. The original Greek uh, doesn't have the the article he here, and so the sentence would be, unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. Uh, 
Uh, and Renee mentioned that he, he reads from the NASB, uh, at least in my understanding, the NASB does not have he there. And so it has much more like, unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. Uh, if you have one of the translations that italicizes words that are added in for readability, uh, then likely the he will be italicized at that point, making it obvious that it's added in for readability, for understanding. And so the, uh, though it is not uh, agreed upon over 100% of commentators, there is a large consensus that the Jesus usage there of I am is a clear reference to the I am, to Yahweh of the Old Testament. And again, though we readily grant that he was added in, uh, note that it doesn't change the meaning of the sentence. You could have a conversation with Jesus such as, uh, he says, unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. Pardon, I don't understand Jesus. Unless you believe that I am what? To which Jesus in effect replies, unless you believe that I am he, unless you believe that I am God, Yahweh, the Messiah, the Christ, the saving one, the uncreated one, the God-man. Unless you believe that I am He, this one, you will die in your sins. And though I wouldn't usually uh, point you towards the, the New Living Translation, it is perhaps useful at this point where it says, unless you believe that I am who I claim to be, you will die in your sins. Uh, sort of bringing out the meaning of what Jesus refers to there. And so the point Believe in Jesus, the God who is from above, the eternal Yahweh. We may say uh, various uh, somewhat inconsequential things about Jesus, such as that he was black or white or he had red, brown, blonde hair, whatever else, uh, with fairly little consequence. But if we do not believe that Jesus is God, that Jesus is Yahweh, we are damned. It is a, a big deal to get wrong. And this can be uh, more subtle than an outright atheistic objection to the existence of God. For example, if you believe uh, that Jesus is the first creation of Jehovah God, not God Almighty himself like the JWs, you are damned. If you believe that Jesus is the firstborn spirit child of God the Father and Heavenly Mother like the Mormons, you were damned. If you believe that Jesus is, the, uh, is Allah's prophet to Israel, such as the, the Muslims, you are damned. Unless you believe uh, that Jesus is the second person of the Trinity, Yahweh himself come in flesh, uh, you are damned. But rather, in short, if you reject Jesus' deity, that he is God, the second person of the Trinity, uh, you are damned. But if you simply believe Jesus is who he says he is. If you don't push against Jesus' clear statement, if you believe in his own words that I am, you will not die in your sins, but you will know the light of life, per verses 24 and 12. And so really, if you just believe the source of truth and take him at his word, as would seem plain and obvious to do, uh, you will be saved. Verses 26 to 30. Uh, Jesus, the judge who speaks, taught by the Father. And I won't read it. You can uh, read it again in your own time. Uh, this section starts with Jesus' statement of, I have much to say about you and much to judge. 
again, to ask ourselves a question, what does this mean? What does Jesus refer to? Jesus has been speaking uh, to the, the stubborn Jews who, despite the clarity of who he is, having been revealed to them so obviously uh, and in such close proximity, they continue on in their willful ignorance. And so of these Jews, Jesus has much to say and to judge. And to properly ascertain Jesus' meaning here, uh, let's consider some other statements about the purpose of his coming. And so flick with me, if you will, just around in John, uh, to John chapter 12, verses 47. Verse 47. So John chapter 12, verse 47 to 50 says, If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I do not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father told me. The word judge there being the same one as in our text. Uh, and John chapter 3, now going backwards from verse 17. John chapter 3, verse 17 to 19 says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. And so condemn in verses 17 and 18 there uh, is the same Greek word uh, as is used for judge in chapter 8 verse 26 and in chapter 12 verses 47 to 48. And so Jesus' purpose in, in coming to the world, in this sense, was to save the world, not to judge it at that point. However, Jesus, uh, in coming to the world, was a bright and bold witness in every way to who he is and to who he was, the God, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, etc. And therefore, this witness, this word, chapter 12, verse 48, this blindingly obvious testimony will judge those exposed to it on the last day. Remember that God, also in, in the nowadays, is not hidden. And so even those who are without, who are without direct uh, contact with Jesus have nonetheless no excuse. They are without excuse, unapologetus, as Romans 1.20 says. And so Jesus' word is the judge against deniers of him. His testimony uh, to those of his day and his enduring testimony today is his witness against deniers of him. John 5, 18 to 47, and I'm not going to read it, uh, contains further complementary evidence to this conclusion uh, with an added point as well, uh, being that Jesus says in verses 22 to 23 of that chapter, For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honour the Son as they honour the Father. Whoever does not honour the Son does not honour the Father who sent him. Note here that uh, though all judgment is given to the Son, 
It does not say he will execute that judgment right now or right at that point when he was speaking these things. Chapter 5, verse 24 goes on to speak of those who believe in Jesus' word, remember the word that judges, avoiding judgment and passing from death to life. Sound application of the opposite of this is that those who reject this word and do not, will not avoid judgment and are in fact judged by that very word. And subsequently, verses 28 to 29 refers to a, a future judgment conducted by the Son. So Jesus' word is the judge against deniers of him. And the judgment reserved for Jesus is a future judgment here and now at the time these events were happening. Uh, His purpose was to seek and save the lost. When he came, his purpose was to seek and save the lost. And nonetheless, he leaves this uh, enduring witness to those who saw him at the time, which will judge them in the last day. And he is appointed a time in the future to judge the living and the dead in righteousness. And so when Jesus says in verse 26 that about the Jews he has much to judge, whereas in verse 15 that I referenced last week, I judge no one, uh, there is no contradiction here. Jesus' more immediate purpose in coming to the world was to save it. Nonetheless, his word proclaimed will judge those exposed to to him and his word. And Jesus will judge, as I said, the world in the future in righteousness. And so the point... Believe Jesus' word. He and his word judge rightly. To draw a further point from this section, uh, I wish to draw from this section that we covered in brief in last week, being Jesus' uh, equality with the Father. Despite his being sent by the Father in verse 16, in this section, Jesus declaring only what he, Jesus, has heard from the Father, as in verses 26 and 28. So Jesus, having been sent and his apparent submission or subordination to the Father here, in no wise necessitates him being less in equality. And in this way, the the Westminster divines have put it well, uh, whereby in their sixth question of the Catechism, they say, how many persons are there in the Godhead? There are three persons in the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one God. The same in substance, equal in power and glory. And if you have Brian Sauvé's instrumental version in your head, you're probably going, "Mm -hmm." I recommend it to you. Uh, Philippians 2 verses 4 to 8 says, Let each one of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God. He did have equality with God, but he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And in speaking of submission, uh, it is similar to a godly marriage. The husband leads and has authority over his wife. And in complementary fashion, she submits to him, supports him on his godly mission. And yet is the wife any lesser in equality than her husband? Certainly not. Rather, indeed, she is 
the glory of the glory. 1 Corinthians 11:7. For a man ought not to cover his head, since he is the glory of God, but woman is the glory of man. If man is the glory of God and woman is the glory of man, then she is the glory of the glory. She is certainly not any lesser inequality. Take that leftist. As we discussed last week, Jesus declaring to the world only what he has heard from the Father and not doing anything on his own authority, but speaking just as the Father taught him, is a display of his function in the economic trinity, his, his function in the work of redemption. Whereas we, uh, in the modern day, tend to think of submission and subordination in adversarial terms. The subordinate party must be an unwilling uh, submissor under the iron fist of the authoritative first ordinate party. But here, in the, in the Godhead, it is certainly not so. To hear Jesus is to hear from the Father, is to hear the same message that the Father would say uh, if, if he were to speak to us directly. It is not as if uh, the Father has forced Jesus to, to go to the world or to say uh, X, Y, and Z to the world to reveal uh, the Father to the world. Jesus voluntarily does this. They are of uh, the same mind, the same uh, essence. They are both God. They think in perfect unity to one another. There is no iron fist involved at all. Rather, there is perfect unity within this triune Godhead. So to make application, uh, we would do well, though, to be like Jesus in that we only preach, speak, and display what we have seen him doing. Jesus, you could say, imitated the Father. Let us be those who imitate Jesus. Let every part of your character be so, uh, so seasoned with the salt of Christ, such that he oozes out of you at every turn. Let our lives be all of him and none of us. And may we rejoice in distinction from the Pharisees, uh, when others would uh, leave following us behind rather to pursue Christ, as John the Baptist rejoiced when the same happened with him. And so the point, uh, be humble like Jesus. Imitate him who is from above. And what would it be like uh, if, we do, if we lived in the perfect unity with Jesus' will, an example, as Jesus did with the Father? kind of world would we live in uh, were that the case so to conclude just briefly the the four points that i gave be like jesus be like him who is from above believe in jesus the god who is from above believe jesus word he and his word judge rightly fourthly and lastly be humble like jesus imitate him who is from above let us be reminded again uh, not to forget who this Jesus is. We still have him with us today by his spirit. And let us not fill our lives or any portion thereof with anything that is not in the pursuit of him. Indeed, he has authority over all things. Therefore, all lawful things can be done uh, to the glory of Jesus. He is the best. We say that in no kind of exaggerated term. He is the best, and we are commanded to pursue him. Uh, therefore, let us do so, and what a glorious pursuit that is. Let us, in distinction, not 
be like the Pharisees who were given so much light, so much exposure to the God-man, Jesus Christ, and yet continued on in willful rejection of him.